0: Hello, my friends, how are you today? You're listening to the St. Mark Bemidji Sunday Edition podcast, which is brought to you by The Banana Slicer. Never again will you nick or cut your fingers when you have to slice up bananas for your kids or to make banana bread. The Banana Slicer. It's fun and it's easy. And now for something completely different. This podcast features a replay of our Sunday sermon, or on occasion, a sermon from another Wells Sister Church. Today, we're privileged to hear a sermon from St. John's Church in Woodlake, Minnesota. It's their sermon from their last Wednesday Vesper service and is based on a homily of several Gospel readings. May God bless your time in the study of His Word.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. At the end of our gospel on Sunday, after Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 people, we hear that they wanted to make him king by force. So Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. But he is a king, isn't he? Even from the very beginning, that's why after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wise men came from the east, came to find the newborn king of the Jews. And when they found him, they knelt down, opened their treasuries and gave them gifts fitting for a king. But now, when he stands before Pilate, Arrested, indicted on the charge that he claims to be Christ, a king. Are you the king a
2: king? Pilate asks. Yes, Jesus says,
1: but not what you think. Pilate trying to release him, finding no charge in no guilty charge in him tries to release him, says to the Jews, what, shall I crucify your king? They say, we have no king but Caesar. Finally, the written charge against him that is written in three languages above his head on the cross reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And even there on the cross, one of the thieves, crucified with him, pleads with Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your
2: kingdom. Jesus is a king.
1: Yet it seems like everyone has a different idea of what this means for Jesus to be king. Wise men, the crowds who ate bread miraculously provided the disciples, the Jews, Pilate, Herod, the soldiers, the thief,
2: and you, you too, I think.
1: Jesus says, "I am a king," and in fact, for this reason, I was born. He says the wise men were right, but. My kingdom is not of
2: this world. What does that mean? The kings of this world gain and maintain
1: their kingdom by power and might and force. They achieve it and they keep it by the sword, by armies. They kill and they execute and they can tolerate no rivals to their throne. That's why it was that Herod the Great slaughtered the baby boys in Bethlehem to eliminate any possible rival to his throne just as Herod had already executed members of his own family for the same purpose. It's also why the crowd yelled out and Pilate paid attention when they said, We have no king but Caesar. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. The kings of this world operate by power and force. Or at the very least, the threat of force.
2: Or the appearance of power
1: which is deception. Appeasing a crowd or an enemy is to make them think that you're giving in to them. So Pilate goes ahead and punishes
2: an innocent man to maintain his control. Kings rule by power, by the appearance
1: of power, and simply by appearance. They live in lavish comfort. They must always appear powerful and successful. They must appear to be winning even if they are not. Otherwise, they are mocked and called losers. So just as Pilate said to the Jews about Jesus, so the scripture says to us about him too.
2: Behold, your king. Take a look. Far be it from us to say, as the Jews did, not my king. We have no king but Caesar. But
1: I think it's probably not quite so far from us that we might long to have a king who flexes his might a little more. The kings of the world extend their kingdom by force, or at least the threat of force. They claim it is in your best interest to comply. They say, we only want what's best for you, and we know what's best for you. So either force or compel you to comply. Our King Jesus does want and does know what's best for you and everyone. And so we think everyone should believe in him and be subject to him. And we wonder, why doesn't Jesus just make
2: them? Why doesn't he just force them? It would be better for them. It would also be more compelling for people to follow King Jesus. If being among his subjects were more
1: appealing and attractive. But instead, those who follow him, his subjects, they look like they suffer. They carry crosses.
2: They look like losers, like him.
1: Maybe it would be better if we could just Make his kingdom, the church, seem more appealing, more successful. Maybe we should make some campaign promises about how everyone's life would just be better if, if you would vote for that is, believe in Jesus. At least just to
2: get them in the door. It would be better for them anyway. We might wish for a more appealing,
1: more powerful King Jesus. One that is a little bit more like the kings of the world. Sometimes, we might even actually listen more carefully, obey more carefully the kings and Caesars of this world than Jesus. If only because they make promises Jesus doesn't make. They offer to us things that Jesus hasn't offered. And they claim to have
2: our best interest in mind too. Is it possible? Is it possible for the kings of this world
1: to influence your behavior? Oh, they might do that with force or the threat of force. They might simply do that with, I don't know, tax incentives or free government services. If only you order your life, your family, your work, and your business in such and such a way. Of course, it's not just governments that provide such pressure, but pressure from peers or society or marketers. But you do it.
2: You do what they want. And order your life according to their plan.
1: While ordering your life according to, say, the Ten Commandments. Has no such financial incentives. And it may in fact pose a hardship on your pocketbook. And crimp your lifestyle and your standard of living. And if that is the case. That this one has more power and sway with you. Could that simply be just another way of saying, in truth, we too have no king but Caesar. Next week, we will hear of the thief on the cross who says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom who after initially mocking Jesus like the others, turns, repents. And Jesus, of course, gives him the promise of
2: paradise. If it turns
1: out that we also have mocked Jesus by preferring the way of kings and the forces of this world to his word and to his cross,
2: May we also look to him and repent.
1: But also note note that the thief was still a little misguided. He asked Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And his idea is a believing idea that Jesus will actually reign in glory in his kingdom. But his mistake
2: is to not see that Jesus was reigning as king, even on the cross, even in his suffering, especially.
1: The soldiers mocked Jesus by clothing him in a purple robe, shoving into his skull a crown of thorns, bowing down, And as it
2: says, worshiping him. Behold your king. Your suffering
1: king. It was in fact in his suffering and in his dying that Jesus reigns as king. It is by his dying that Jesus conquers sin and death. Jesus does not become king after this, but by this. And so it is that his kingdom does not come by force, or by compulsion, or by appealing to the masses. It comes
2: by and only by truth. His word. Everyone
1: on the side of truth hears my voice, Jesus said. Or as the Catechism teaches, God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word. It's possible even for us who do believe in Him, who have repented and trust in Him to be misguided, to think that someday Jesus will come into his real king, kingdom, and then he'll be a real king like the kings of this world.
2: So, what does Jesus do for us who, like the thief on the cross, may believe in him but are misguided? He suffered for us.
1: He died for us. And he continues through his Holy Spirit to proclaim the truth to us. And he promises us like the thief
2: paradise. Behold your king. And it is in his
1: voice, the voice of the king In truth, that he reigns. And it is in his suffering and
2: death that he conquers. Dear Christian, behold your king.
1: May his suffering and death, may his word of truth continue to lead you to repentance. To draw you to himself and to his love. That you may continually, regardless of how he looks, regardless of how different from the kings of the world, to bow before him and present your gifts like wise men, to trust his word and promise beyond any power or prosperity the world may offer, and commit yourself to him in hope, even
2: in the face of death. Behold your King.
1: Amen.
0: We hope that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Divine Services are held right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Sunday School and Adult Bible Study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m., our church services are live streamed at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings and are available afterwards on our channel, St. Mark Lutheran Church Bemidji. If you're listening or watching this podcast, you are cordially invited to join us in person next week and every week. This is our fourth year producing this podcast, and there is a large archive of devotional material online available if you want to learn more about God and his word. Visit www.stmarkbemidji.org. Meditation's daily devotional is published by Northwestern Publishing House and is also used by permission. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing and telling a friend. May God bless the rest of your day.
1: He, because I could not pay it, gave my full redemption price. Do I need earth's treasures many? I have one worth more than any. That brought me salvation free, lasting to eternity.